All right, Pete Giuliano, it is Saturday, August 22nd, 2015, and that makes this solder smoke number... 179! And it's a special anniversary edition. Yes. As we noticed the last time, this, this date marks 10 years of the solder smoke podcast. Hard to believe. Here we are, 10 years on. And uh, I, I checked, I, I believe the actual first one went out uh, 10 years ago yesterday. So this is the 10th anniversary. And I thought, and you agreed, I thought we should do a little bit of um, kind of a walk down solder smoke memory lane. Take a look back at the podcast. I have one clip. I think we should start with how it all started. A clip. Yeah, I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. Oh, right. You know, I, I want to tell everybody, brace yourself for the audio quality, because we've made quite a bit of improvement over the years, and, well, those improvements didn't start yet. <laughs> well, you'll hear this. Hold on a second. Let me take a, take a second to get this going. Hold on. Still with Audacity. There you go. Wow. That was kind of fun, huh? Yeah. Well, that was, of course, Mike, KL7R. Uh, rest in peace. Um, uh, that was our, our first uh, episode. And it, what I think I mentioned this last time. The way the whole thing started was Mike and I used to get together on Echolink and just talk about, as he said, talk about homebrew projects. 
And one day I mentioned to him that I'd come across this article in the British magazine New Scientist, and it was Software Kills the Radio Star. And it was about this new thing at the time called podcasts and about how people were making their own radio programs and then posting them up onto the Internet. And uh, people all around the world were listening. And Mike was a very kind of um, innovative guy, and he, and he right away just took that. And he, the next time we talked, he kind of sent me some files, and, uh, and that, was, that was Solder Smoke 1. And the rest is history. There we are, ten years later. Hey, though, Bill, I, I almost feel slighted. Why is that? There's music on the front of the podcast. We don't have music on the front well, of the podcast. We, we used to, and we've gone through various episodes. We had, we, we, have, we had that for a long time, and then for a while we had um, some music that uh, W8MOJ, Moj, put together for us, custom-made, and we still have that at the end. It's still featured at the end. It's kind of a techno-synthesized kind of thing that Moj, they were very, very creative. For a while we were using the, uh, the, we were just pretty much stealing a couple of minutes from Steely Dan's IGY. Oh, Steely Dan. Uh, the inter, you know, from the IGY, the the International Geophysical Year. Yeah. So it got some important significance for us here on the show. Um, yeah, we got to go back to some music at the beginning. Although I think people like it somehow if we get right to it. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, now, one thing I did is I thought it was I had a lot of fun listening to that. But you know, we have up on the um, on the site soldersmoke.com uh, a guide to all of the um, all of the podcasts. You know, all 179 of them now, with a little capsule summary of what we discussed. And I, I was just blown away by how much nonsense we have covered over this 10-year period. And I thought, and <laughs> I'll, I'll just make some comments, Pete. And I know you've listened to all of them, so just chime in here. But I just wanted to take, I hope this will be a fairly quick walk down memory lane. But, of course, we had the first one. Then... Um, and I just, as I went through it, I just jotted down things that I thought were memorable from a, a number of the episodes. In episode 16, Mike and I discuss the use of desitin as a heat sink compound. Desitin, yeah. it's been a long time for you. It's been quite some time for me, too. Yeah. But that's basically the, the ointment that you put after you change the baby's diaper, yeah. right? And we discovered that it was also useful as a heat sink compound. Wow. If you don't have heat sink compound, you need something, you put that in there. And not only that, it fills the shack with a pleasant kind of babyish kind of yeah, aroma. Yeah, yeah, I wonder it's who nice. discovered that. I don't know who discovered it, but you know, it also makes me realize that in my workshop, I still, all of my parts containers are uh, formerly uh, plastic baby wipes uh, containers. They're perfect, so I'm still using that. Repurposing. And, Add some soul to the ham shack. Yeah. Okay. In 34, on October 7th, 2006, we were joined by Farhan from India. That was really cool. That was one of our coolest interviews, and we've got to do it again. It's been far too much time. It's been almost 10 years, wow. Farhan. Wow. We've got to get you back, but that was great fun, uh, having Farhan come in uh, from, from Hyderabad and talk to us about the things that he was up to at the time. In episode 46... I think we find the first mention of the Michigan Mighty Might. Wow. That was January 13, 2007, and sadly, that was the, uh, the last podcast with Mike. That was it. We, so we were talking about Michigan Mighty Might, but um, that was episode 46, and, and uh, he was killed in the car crash in, in Hawaii shortly thereafter. Then we went through a long period where we didn't do any, 
And then we started, as I said, getting messages from guys saying, you know, you really should start it up again. Mike would want this thing to continue. And, of course, they were right. So we were back. And by episode 48, on March 4, 2007, I believe we have the first reference to the knack, Dilbert's disease. Yeah. It's become an important part of the Cider Smoke lexicon, the knack. Um, more about that later. Ah, the music. You mentioned the music. Um, that started on March 18, 2007, in episode 50, Moj's music, M-O-J, the Moj. He gave us some great music. It's all synthesized. It's still playing at the end. We've got to bring it back. You're right. got to put it on the beginning. You know, we have uh, every, every once in a while we cover really unusual, dubious, probably not factually correct news stories, especially <laughs> around a certain date. There's a date in which this is done. And um, in episode 52, which was not coincidentally around, well, that date, we covered a story about how the New Jersey state legislature had had just come up with new legislation um, prohibiting the use of soldering irons in private homes. Created quite the uproar. I think Governor Christie is still getting letters on that one. The lawyers are still scratching their heads to see what what can be done. The, The people were outraged. April 1st, 2007, I think that was. In episode 54, an interview with Tony Fishpool of the GQRP Club. I was Billy and I were out at the Kempton Park Rally in London, and Tony was there, and we had a wonderful chat, and that was great fun. Episode 60, we hear mention, I think in the mailbag section, of somebody we would hear much more about much later on, Eric Schwartz. Uh, one of the, the founders of Ellicraft wow. was there on May 27, 2007. In uh, ex- episode 66, we were uh, on the air from Rome. October 13, 2007, we had moved to Rome, and I recounted in that one my meeting in San Diego over the summer with Wes Hayward, W7ZOI. I had a great meeting with Wes. I, I really, really enjoyed that, and I talked about that in that podcast. In 70, episode 76... We had uh, one, I think, of a series of interviews with AG5RS, a home brewer who was at the time operating out of Dubai. And um, oh, no, here's an important one. February 14, 2008, episode 77. In the mailbag, I, I read a letter from this fellow uh, with a call sign W6JFR. <laughs> who was W6JFR? I was. <laughs> Oh, there you are. That was Pete Giuliano, W6JFR. He wrote in, and um, and it was about uh, he was extolling the virtues of Italian craftsmanship. Yeah, you were, you were. What, what was that? Do you remember what it was no. specifically? <laughs> oh no, <laughs> we'll have to go back and listen to it. I'm sure it was wonderful. Um, in episode 84, we talk about the launch of the Solder Smoke Daily News blog. That was May 25, 2008. Ah, here's a guy. Who's come? There's so many people, and I'm, I really feel bad because we're not going to mention everybody. It's just impossible. There's so many, but one of the real stalwarts and uh, and uh, you know c- frequent contributors to the podcast uh, showed up in episode 102. That's Jim AL7RV, new call sign W8NSA, and we had been talking about uh, LT Spice and the use of simulators. And uh, Jim very helpfully chimed in and said that he was going to work on building a um, a smoke generator for LT Spice, you know, so that when you did something that would cause a release of the smoke, that smoke would come pouring out of the, of the speaker or the computer to oh, give you yeah, a more yeah, accurate, yeah, yeah. an accurate uh, electronic experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're still waiting on that one, Jim. <laughs> we, we need it. 
In, in 103, we had the first of, I think, a series of interviews with Jeff, KO7M. You'll remember Jeff. Jeff is the guy with the Piper Piper Cub, that beautiful yellow Piper Cub that he takes flying around and he camps under the wing. And we still we just heard from him last week. He's doing well, so good to hear from you, Jeff. I don't think he's flying the Piper Cub anymore, but, uh, but that was a lot of fun. In 106, we, we mentioned the launch of Solder Smoke, the book. Solder Smoke. Book, which, which has been great fun. I've had a lot of fun with that. And at the suggestion of my dear wife, Elisa, I mentioned to her that we were going to do this show. And she said, you know what? You should do, because it's the anniversary, you should do a special offer on the book. Now, this is not the shameless commerce thing. No, we're not, we're not there yet. We'll do that later. But what I'm going to do is, at Elisa's suggestion, because we're in the anniversary month, I am going to get with the suits from Lulu and Amazon and whoever else is selling this book, and make them lower the price to cost. We're going down a cost. There you go. And then we're going to let people, you know, take advantage during this special anniversary month. So keep your eye on the blog, guys. I'll, I'll make the, I'll let the details be known. But uh, I'm going to get with that Bezos character and tell him, hey, lower the price, Jeff. Yeah. More about that later. In 108, uh, oh, yeah, 108, this is another one of our, uh, our regular contributors, a guy... Bob W8SX. Bob came over and, and saw me in Rome, and I gave him a tour of the embassy. I, I really owed him because he has been our, our correspondent at the at the Four Days in May event for many years now. Uh, this May 24, 2009 wasn't the first time he did it. I think he did it two years earlier, but it was one of the early ones. And every year, people look forward to, to Bob's interviews from FDIM. And, and, you know, interviewing some of these guys, is it's not easy. Dude, some of the, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of... Like pulling teeth. <laughs> There's a lot of introverted personalities in our hobby, Pete, yeah. and uh, getting them to... We're not to, one of them. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> we're outside that group, as we've been demonstrating yeah. here at least. But, anyway, uh, then we have, um, oh, here's a, a, a difficult, painful period. I cringe. My teeth hurt when I mention this. Around episode 110... People became acutely aware of the fact that I have this gap between my two front teeth that, unbeknownst to me, produces some high-frequency audio oscillations, the sibilant S problem. Wow. I think think we may have taken care of it, but uh, you never know. It might be out there. Fortunately, I have tinnitus and high-frequency hearing loss, so it doesn't bother me at all. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, U.S. Army. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, um, so that we, we had long discussions about that. Actually, it turned out to be a lot of fun. You know, and Pete, on 123, speaking of the book, it was remarkable. I mean, really remarkable. I, I told people that I had received word from Chicago that I was going to be on the Oprah Book Club with the book Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Marcus Electronics. Yeah, it was, it was you know, really surprising. I didn't think Oprah would be into these kind of books, but there it was. So I made an announcement on April 1st. (laughs) I told these guys, I said, listen, I said, you guys don't watch Oprah, but your wives do. So what you do after this podcast, you go to your wife and you say, honey, Bill Mara is going to be on Oprah with his book, Solder Smoke. Please listen and let me know when it's going to be. And you know... Uh, a remarkably large number of our fellow radio amateurs had this conversation with their wives. <laughs> and a number of them wrote to me afterwards saying that the wives just looked at them like, what are you, nuts? They're never going to have him on Oprah. 
No, we didn't. And, and later on, <clears> I, I remarked we were thinking about the possibility of being on with Dr. Phil. Uh, that didn't work out either. Uh, let me see. We've got someone here. Keep, keep going on. There's so many. Ah, 126. Uh, by 126, October 11, 2010, we were back in the USA. Here we are. We came back. Our, our European adventure had ended. Um, on, on, in episode 129, on January 8, 2011, I make mention of a really cool modification of the SBL-1 mixer that I came across in experimental methods in RF design. Again, by this W6JFR guy. <laughs> this is all kind of, you know, kind of foreshadowing. Yeah, foreshadowing yeah, yeah. Things to come. <laughs> 138, October 4th, 2011, I report that my Drake 2B was back on the air. The Drake 2B has been almost a, a, a fixture in this program. This is, sometimes it, it just seemed like it was, we should change the name of the podcast to the, the Drake 2B cast. There you go. It provided a lot of grist for our mill. Um, 141, February 5th, 2011, we discuss one of the many weird, weird esoteric problems that we live with is, uh, Homebrewing Radio Amateurs, Murphy's Whiskers. You remember Murphy's Whiskers? Don't you remember? No, no, I don't. Oh, the oh. solder things get all over the no. place and short things it, up? No. It, yeah, it's those little bits at the end when you use RG-174 coax. Oh, okay. And the little, the braid, the braid breaks off and little pieces find their way into the rig. And short things. Those are called Murphy's Whiskers. Oh, okay. And that reason that I have this... Fear of RG one seventy four cable, cable, but a, a, a line came in from from the old country, Pete, from from Italy that I really loved, and I put it in there, and I'm going to repeat repeat it here, and then we'll translate it. Non è radio amatore, si non li fuma il soldatore. Yeah, yeah. You're not a radio amateur unless you melt the solder. Yeah, smoke the solder. Yeah, fuma. Non non è radio amatore, si non li fuma. Il soldatore. Saldatore, saldatore. Yeah, all right. Anyway, good stuff from Italy there. 142, March 19, 2012. Another mention of the Wizard of the West Coast, Pete Giuliano's. Uh, we talk about an SSB rig. This was in 2012. You were on there again. You, you're in this thing a lot. Even before, you, even before we signed this lucrative contract, it brings you in here full time. <laughs> um, 148. Um, December 30th, 2012, first mention of Peter Parker's Beach 40. Peter, uh, the wizard of Melbourne. Um, and I, we got that in there. Uh, always good to have Peter. Peter's been involved in the podcast for many years. Great ideas coming out of Melbourne. In, uh, in episode 150, March 6, 2013, the Kludge or Kludge controversy. We get into a lot of discussions of, of words. You know, Steve Silverman is our official solder smoke uh, lexicographer and uh, dictionary maintainer. Um, and we, there's this discussion that hasn't quite ended about whether you call it kludge or kludge. That's like solder. I know, but <laughs> there, there we have it. You know, it's, it's the Brits who are messing us up. This is nothing but ourselves to blame. I, I go with kludge. How about you? Kludge. Oh, and there you go. It's the West Coast. All right. Also, on that episode in 150, I announced that yet again, I, you know, and this, this happens almost every year, I was the winner of the AWRL International DX, um, DX contest in my category, my unique category. Uh, in this case, it was um, QRP, homebrew, 
Double Side Band, Northern Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. I've got the plaque right here. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It was a proud moment for me. Um, March 18th, 2013, episode 152 may have been the first mention of Arduinos. Wow. Um, 155, October 2013, I, I talked about building the BIDX-17. <laughs> and I also talked about it. It was kind of funny. Um, you know, when you're in this game, this homebrew game, very often you have to go to hardware stores, pharmacies, um, uh, other places to buy things that cause people to say, the question I had was, why does a 55-year-old man need clear nail polish varnish? Yeah, yeah. There you I go. Varnish, I think probably to put it on, a, on, oh, on one of the coils, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can you imagine, I walk into the local CVS and, and stand there and say, do you have any clear nail, pol nail polish varnish? Yeah. Reminded me of the time I went into the pharmacy and asked for some empty pill bottles. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing, Bill? Yeah. They were, they were, they were ready to call the Drug Enforcement yeah, Administration yeah. and start putting the cuffs on. I also announced in that episode the, uh, the sad but kind of timely death of my Tech 465 scope. I, I fought against it. It fought a good battle. I eventually gave up and bought the Rigol. Um, 159, April uh, 2014, I met W1REX, Rex Harper. Yeah, Rex. Uh, the, the keeper of the Tuna Tin 2. I met him out at the uh, Vienna Wire Wireless Ham Fest, and we conducted a Mojo transfer ceremony. Wow. I didn't have a Tuna Tin 2 with me, but I had my BIDX-17, and so we, we recorded it. It's up on the blog, but we actually, he touched my BIDX-17 with the... Uh, and powered it. The, the, the mojo was transferred. Oh. Got the mojo. Yeah. Um, and I also talk about my own kind of project that I called Revenge of the Nerd. Uh, this is when I, I decided to take on the Herring Aid 5 receiver project that, had, that I had failed in 38 years earlier. <laughs> and you found the problem. I did, with the help of Dexter down there in, in New Zealand. Yeah. And he, he, he chimed in and told me that I'd wound the coils with the, with the improper coil sense. There you go. Face. That, QS, that QST didn't have the sense to warn me about. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, all's forgiven. And then episode 161, Ooh. 26 May 2014, Pete Giuliano joins the Solder Smoke team. That's just that brings us... That brings us to the modern era. Yeah, yeah, well, you know that's amazing, Bill. I was I was just kind of following along there, and, and it's interesting to see the topics. So, some of those keep showing back up, which is which is good. Which is good. Michigan Mighty Might. You know, when you said, "Geez, that was a it's long either, time ago." Yeah, it's either it's either good or it's an indication of insanity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. I also, as I was doing this, Pete, I. I realized that along the lines of what you just said, that there are certain, not only projects, but certain phrases that have become sort of part of the solder smoke lexicon. Um, and I've always been a little bit wary. You know, we're in danger of spinning into cult status here. That's why I was reluctant to get into tweeting. That's why we don't do podcasts every single week. If you start doing this, then the next thing you know, you're a cult, yeah, and you're yeah. asking people to drink Kool-Aid and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we, we don't want to go there. Right. So we kind of keep a limit on it. There's a lot of good stuff, a lot of good, good stuff that people should be looking at, so we, we, we kind of limit it. But inevitably, when you have this many programs over this period of time, 
there starts to develop kind of a vocabulary that's kind of unique or, or special or kind of, well, the, the, the lexicon of solder smoke. So I thought I would just throw out a few terms here. And uh, some of them have come up during your time with us. Some of them go back further. Some of them you've brought to us. But, for example, the first one that comes to mind is Basta! Basta! Yeah. Uh, basta! That's, a, you know, enough. That's, that's what you scream when you've had enough kludge or kludge we've just mentioned. We've also mentioned the knack, Dilbert's disease. Some people don't like the, all this discussion of the knack. I've had some negative comments on the knack, but I think it really captures. You know, you've got to go back and take a look at that original animated cartoon that Scott Adams did where it shows, you know, the... Uh, Dilbert's mom taking him to the doctor. I mean, I think that's that, that's that's really important. Um, we use the term exorcism sometimes. We use yeah. it recently. That's that's when you you've got to get the ghost out of the machine. That's another phrase. The ghost <laughs> in the machine. That's yours. You brought that to us. That's when you have some problem and you realize that there's an oscillation in there that's not supposed to be in there. That's the ghost in the, in the machine. machine. Yeah. We just we used that just just this last week. Yeah. And and when you, if you have that, you have to conduct an exorcism. Yeah. This is related also. That's the bad part. That's the ghost of the machine. We also have the soul in the machine. This is from Tracy Kidder from his book, Soul in the New Machine, classic about the development of computers up there in the Boston corridor up there. and Was it 128 up there in Boston? And, uh, and how they built that first computer. Wonderful book. But we use it just to mean, you know, make a, make a rig in which you have put your own input into it, or parts from an old friend, or circuits from Sprat, or coils that your kid helped you wind, or a, a cabinet that your daughter painted, or something like that. Put soul into that machine. Soul in the new machine. Luddite cremogenism. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, have, doesn't come up too oh, often. Yeah, yeah. I am the main victim of this. Yes, yes. So this was, this is the Luddite cremogenism came up several times when I was resisting the use of DS, Arduinos, PLLs, all those nasty little mystery black boxes that you have brought into our lives, Pete Giuliano. Luddite cremogenism. The speed of dark. <laughs> this is when Billy was little. Some of this stuff comes from when the kids were small. But Billy, one time we were talking about the speed of light, and he looked at me one day and said, Dad, what is the speed of dark? Ooh. Interesting Deep. question. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Under that, man. Wow. Excelsior. There you go. That's, that's Gene Shepard. That's Gene Shepard's phrase. Gene Shepard's played a big role in the podcast, and, um, and so he, he that was his catchphrase, and we've got frequent references to Gene and and, and links to his uh, his many videos that are now out on the uh, on YouTube. Ones that I talk about sometimes, we, we just use this. It's, it is part of the lexicon, Tales of Woe. Oh, yeah. That's what, we, that's what we bring to the podcast just about every month, yeah, you know. Yeah. of woe. Yeah. Just home brewing is not for the faint of heart. Yeah, yeah. It's not easy. This is not plug and play. Yeah. If you play in this game, you're going to have some tales of woe. And I've always really kind of been curious about why our listeners take such delight in my tales of woe. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> some of them are still chuckling about the time that I soldered in the, uh, the chip in the frequency counter. Upside down, and with, on both sides of the board, you know. Well, that was, that well, Bill, there's an answer to that. The people who do that, who delight in that, they do that all the time. And and now that you do it, who is well known, and you mentioned it, they say, "Okay, <laughs> I'm not oh, the only one." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, 
All right. All right. Tribal knowledge. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's yours. You 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 brought us that. That's what the, how our whole collaboration started. We were going to do some specials on tribal knowledge, and there's just so much of it. We're just keeping on going. So we we thank you for bringing us all the tribal knowledge. Related to tales of woe, the opposite of tales of woe is something that I call the joy of oscillation. Yep. This is a family show, so we don't we don't. There, there's really no double entendre here. We're not talking. We're not making allusions to anything else. But it is the first time you build that Michigan Mighty Might. And you, you hear it going, boop, in the receiver. That's the joy of oscillations. It's now been, there's an acronym, J-O-O, yeah. J-O, small o, J-O-O, yeah. joy of oscillation. Socketry. I love socketry. Ooh. That's George Dobbs. Yes, yes. He was talking one time about how you, you build the, the rig, you build the receiver, you build the transmitter, and then what's left is the cabinetry and the socketry. Yep. Good stuff, George. Um, the kids again. Um, Maria ends almost every podcast in uh, we, when we get into that kind of uh, who we are, where we are, how you can contribute, and all that. And then she closes with "Ciao, but I'll be Yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, it's, uh, which translates basically uh, later. All you inventive boys, yeah, yeah. Smart, smart fellows, good guys. And then Billy, Billy's phrase is in there too, and that's right before the gong. And that's where he says in his six-year-old voice that he's very embarrassed about now, ooh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's Billy. Um, I, you know, I've been given a title, and I, I, I forget the call sign of the guy who gives it to me. He's going to be mad, but he hasn't been in touch with us for a long time. But you know that at one time I was named the Grand Poobah? The Grand Poobah, wow. GPB. That's it. I, I'm very proud of that title, the Grand Poobah. But I think the one, the part of the lexicon that I like the best, that really captures the, the essence of the whole thing, Pete, is the IBEW. Yes. Now, American listeners know about this because the IBEW is a, a, a trade union familiar to us for many years, the International Brotherhood of Electron, Electric Workers. Yes. Electric Workers. Yep. Yeah. The Electricians Union in the United States, yep. very important, very powerful. We changed it around a little bit. We call it the International Brotherhood of Electronic Wizards. Yes. The IBEW. Now, brotherhood's too restrictive because there are uh, women in this game and they're making important contributions, so they're included also. Um, and, you know, but the IBEW, the International Brotherhood, because that's one thing that we find is that when we talk to people, no matter what corner of the world they're from, when we ask them about their initial experiences with radio or what they're struggling with, it's all the same. You'll find out there was this guy in Sudan who, when he was eight years old, wanted to take apart radios and didn't know why. You know, or some guy whose grandfather showed him how to change the um, the broadcast radio in the living room so that it would receive 160 meters, and he started listening. All these stories. And the, the thing is, it is something that we really have in common, no matter where in the world it comes from. On, on the cover of the Solder Smoke book, I don't know if anybody's noticed it, but there's a, a diagram for a simple crystal radio. If you take a look, the, uh, the the lettering, the parts designations are in Arabic. Wow. And I, when I saw that, I just said, there you go. There's the International Brotherhood of Electronic Wizards. Yeah. There's some kids over there in in the Arabic-speaking world struggling with the same kind of stuff that, that you and I struggled with here in the United States that our friends in Europe struggle with. It's the International Brotherhood of Electronic Wizards. Absolutely. That completes 
our walk down memory lane. Unless you have anything you want to add. Well, well you know, it's kind of interesting, those uh, catchphrases. I, I yeah. notice that a lot of emails that come through, people will talk about the joy of oscillation. I mean, these, these, <laughs> these get repeated. You say, oh, I've had the... J- you know, the joy of us. They're becoming part of the culture. Yes, they're becoming part of the They're going to start showing up in People magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Oh, on Oprah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, enough looking back. Time to look forward. What is on the bench at the Newberry Park Laboratories of N6QW? Well, my, my time these days is being consumed with the Antenna Project. Yeah. And so well, it's the time of year. Yeah, it's, it's a good yeah, time of year well, it's better than February sixteenth. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, anyway, we normally do it. <laughs> anyway, I uh, I have been discovering some really interesting things. First of, you think you can build an antenna for two hundred bucks? Uh, that's not the case. <laughs> you know, it's, this is like a giant sinkhole in in my backyard. Oh my you know, you you keep adding this and say I better do that, but. I've tried to um, I've tried to document what I'm doing on on a blog, so you can see some photographs and things of that sort. And some things uh, have actually worked out pretty good. Yesterday, Bill, I moved my current antenna to a new location, so I wouldn't be off the air uh, during the construction of the the support mast for the two element beam that uh, will soon be arriving. And uh, it was kind of interesting because where I put it, I looked at it and I said. Why didn't you put it there in the first place? <laughs> you know, after I went through this elaborate, you, you know, preparation and to, to put it in place, and, and yet there was something stirring me right in the face would have been a lot easier to do. And I said, geez, <laughs> why didn't you think of that before? Someone had put a couple anchor bolts in the chimney, and I guess they had a trellis there or something like that. And it turns out those anchor bolts work really great for putting up a bracket so I can – Hold the mast. Um, the bearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was saying, geez, <laughs> where, where were you two years ago? You know, with with the rate was the radio gods. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they 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 want you to put that yeah, antenna there. Yeah, and then I discovered something else uh, when I tried to push up the mast. It's a fiberglass mast, uh, and this is good information when I do the aluminum mast because it's a similar type of operation. Dust and debris had had collected on this fiberglass mast. So when I let it down, it was pretty easy because the weight just forced it down. When I tried to pull it back up, you had all this friction from all this dust and debris. I mean, I killed myself yesterday. <laughs> I said, it wasn't this hard before. So it was a good lesson for me in, in the preparation of putting up the mast uh, when I do the aluminum mast for the, for the beam. So I uh, learned lots of things. But um, I really like the, I like the, uh, the way you're describing it on the blog, and this is a time to put in a, a plug for Pete's blog. Check it out at what, n6qw.com? No, it's n6qw.blogspot.com. There you go, n6qw.blogspot.com. I really, I mean, I, I'm really enjoying it. One thing I didn't realize is you have beautiful mountains around your house. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, yeah. That looks really cool. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah, really, really nice. Yeah. And and I like the diagram that you did that shows how you're going to have the base, how you got the rebar going into the concrete. you got the rotor right down there at the bottom. Yeah. You push the whole thing up, and you rotate it from the bottom, and you don't have this rot- rotor floating around up there on the top of the yeah. of the thing. You got the two sets of guy wires with the magic rope. Yeah, the magic rope. Magic it's got to be. Magic. Imagine that magic <laughs> costs a lot more money. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You got it. You got it. <laughs> said, that's what makes it magic. Jeez, how could this cost so much? And guys, magical for magic. the high. <laughs> 
it's a, it's like those audiophile cables that have had the oxygen removed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. Okay. Well, that's that's great. Um, I mean, um, and so uh, when 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 are you going to be spinning that thing out and uh, you know stirring up the ionosphere? Well, uh, the the beam is a custom manufacturer, and it takes almost a month. So we're a couple of weeks away yet from the the beam arriving. But that's good because now since I moved the current antenna, I have I'm going to ready to put the base in next week. So right. so once that goes together, and also. I found uh, a good way to do this with taking some parts from a, a U.S. Towers rotor base plate. And there's some pictures on the blog how I added some brackets that you can buy at Home Depot with some anchor bolts. And that's going to keep that off the base by about three inches because you can put the control cable on, on the on the bottom of the rotator. So there's some pictures of that in, in on the blog that you can see how that's all going to go together. So eh, I'm finding... You know, different parts and pieces all over, and that's why I think, in some respects, rushing in and trying to do this in two days, haste makes waste. <laughs> haste makes waste, yeah. Make haste slowly. Um, a, um, yeah, well, I mean, it's it's good. It's it's a good it's a good summertime project for you. Keeps you out of trouble. Oh yeah. Prevents you from putting that beret on, yeah, going yeah, out, yeah. Down, hanging out at Starbucks and getting in trouble. No, 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 no. Keep on the straight and narrow there. Yeah. That's good. Um, how do you like the blog experience now that you're a blogger? Well, I got to tell you, I didn't. I thought it was pretty hard. You, you know, initially, get it going. No, no, no. I, just before doing it, I thought, "Gee, this okay. is going to be hard." And then you put me onto that software, and it's not that hard. <laughs> I mean, no, no, it's not hard. No. They've got all these templates, and I mean, you can you can do some really interesting things. I mean, uh, one I didn't realize you could have the floating. You have it on the solder smoke block, the floating pictures. Oh, yeah. No, it's not. No, no. You could even you could even do it so that they'll pick they'll pull down pictures from the web for you. If you give it a subject, a title, you could put it in there and they'll just randomly select from the web. Wow. Now it's it's dangerous because you sometimes get some images that you didn't really, <laughs> yeah, you didn't really like, so use a word like oscillator. Yeah, yeah. You could get you could get some images that you might not have been expecting. Yeah, yeah. So, well, upset about that. Here here was the thing that's the eye opener is the statistics. Okay. You see the statistics. And I learned something. Uh, First of, there have only been 1,600 people in less than a month that have looked at the blog, but it's from 42 countries, which I thought was kind of interesting. And I learned that there's a country that I never knew existed. What's that? Jersey. In the Channel Islands. Yeah, the Jersey Islands, Jersey. It's it's a separate country. It's right over there by France. Yeah, so I said... It's pretty cool. And and it was the only island sort of related to the British Empire that was occupied by the Germans during World War II. So I said, said, Jersey, where's that at? (laughs) And I I went and looked up the information on Jersey. It's the Jersey Shore, Pete. It's right over there. Well, yeah. Well, there's no... I don't think there's many Italians in Jersey as there are in New Jersey. (laughs) You know, I, I get the picture. But anyway, it's very... It's very informative. You learn more things than you th- thought you were going to learn as a result of that. So that's kind of interesting. Well, you got a lot. You got a lot to put on there. So we'll encourage our, our listeners to go and, and, and check that out. And, and other people that we know have got blogs going, and they need to they need to update them. They need to share the tribal knowledge. Yeah. I'm talking to you, Farhan. Yeah. <laughs> He's got the blog up there, hey, but you know. Got updated. He's a, the thing is, Farhan's a very busy guy. He's got all kinds of irons in the fire, all kinds of different projects, and uh, but but he's got a blog up too, and I hope he up say starts updating. You know what's really good about that? People 
a look at that blog, and, and they provide you information that you would wonder, where am I going to find information on this? For instance, I was uh, playing around with one of the displays, and I wanted to display a sine wave because I'm looking to embed some. I saw that. It's pretty cool this morning. Arduino in, in, uh, in some test equipment, and I was having trouble displaying a sine wave. You got to do the radians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so someone comes back and says, hey, Pete, <laughs> radians. You remember high school trigonometry? Radians. And I put the radians in there, and guess what? It works. We'll talk more about the, the contributors when we, when we talk a little bit later about phase noise. But um, I wanted to give a shout-out to somebody who has once again saved me from a tale of painful, a woe, a tale of woe. It, she, she helped me once again with an exorcism. We got the ghosts out of the machine. Yep. Pete. yep. Let me tell everybody what's what's been going on. This is the uh, the CCI app, the Communications Concepts Incorporated EB sixty three A. EB refers to electronic bulletin. It's uh, these are amplifiers that are now sold by this company CCI, a great company. And uh, the EB sixty three is one of the really basic amps. It's the, I think it's their cheapest HF amp. It produces uh, about 120 watts out with a few watts in. It's got two Motorola transistors. It's got no real feedback networks. It's just straight through. It's really simple. Run it off 13 volts. And um, it, it works great, but you have to really kind of, when you, when you buy one of these things, you have to realize that the simplicity of the design sometimes imposes some limitations and sometimes problems can arise. And I had a problem that I, I noticed. It's probably been there for, for a couple of years, for a year now, since I've had the amplifier. But it, I didn't really notice it until I looked closely at the output on 17 meters. And what, what was happening was this. Um, I, I watched the output of the amplifier with my Rigol scope. And I just take a little audio signal generator and I put it in the mic uh, connector of the BIDX 17 transmitter. And then I crank up the audio and I watch the output, which should be on one frequency, right, one tone, coming out of the uh, the the X and the amplifier. And as I as I increased the um, the audio input, I would notice from the X a very smooth increase in um, in RF output on that one frequency, that one tone until you reach the point where, okay, that's the max, and you don't want to overdrive it, so there there you go. So it was doing what it was supposed to do. The BIDX was producing about 5 watts of clean RF out. When I did the same thing through the, the CCI amp, it was almost perfect, but not perfect, because what would happen, about halfway through, as I increased the power, at low input, at low inputs of audio, it was a nice clean sine wave coming out, but I would reach a point about halfway up where, man, that thing, the output would just go crazy for a second. And then if I increased the power a little bit more and I went up into the kind of the higher end of the drive range for the, for the amplifier, it would once again be perfect. But I noticed that every time the drive levels went up through that kind of mid-range, it would look, the, the whole waveform would go crazy. Now, it took me a while, and we went back and forth trying to figure out whether the problem was in my BIDX-17 or whether it was in the amplifier. And through a series of tests, I really came to conclude that it was something in the amplifier because there was no, I never saw any evidence of it coming out of the BIDX-17. Um, so it, the ghost was in the machine, but I was almost certain that it was in the CCI machine. 
And then we started looking for um, solutions. And whenever I get into a problem like this, I turn to two people. I turn to you and to Allison KB1GMX. And, um, man, Allison has saved me so many times. She's got such a, a wealth of knowledge on especially these kinds of amplifier problems. But, I mean, she's got it on a broad range of electronic topics. And, uh, and she knew all about this amp. She has run a similar version herself. And um, she started sending me kind of suggestions for troubleshooting. And then finally, right before we went away on vacation, she sent me kind of a prescription. I said this is the prescription from Dr. Allison. Yeah, yeah. And it was really cool. Simple, elegant, easy to do. And what she said is this amplifier could use some negative feedback. Because for some reason, as you go up, uh, you know, the, 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 the gain and the bandwidth of solid-state amplifiers, especially if they don't have any feedback in there, can vary with drive levels. So there was probably some point as I increased the drive where the gain and the bandwidth of the amplifier was such that it would spring into oscillation briefly at that particular drive level. With the Rigol scope, I was able to, to narrow it down, and I knew that it was oscillating at about 435 kilohertz. All right, so we needed to do, what do you do about this? Okay, you know that it's oscillating at 435 kilohertz, but what do you do? So Allison prescribed a small amount of negative feedback. The circuit that she told me to put in was very simple. It was an FT50-43 ferrite toroid with 10 turns of wire on it. One end of the 10 turns of the wires goes to the collector of one transistor. One end goes to the collector of the other transistor. Through the, This is the cool part. Through the center of the toroid, you put a 4.7 ohm 2-watt resistor. And you connect one end of the resistor to the base of one transistor and one end of the transistor to the base of the other transistor. This forms, in essence, a 10 to 1 turns ratio transformer and then if you have the if you have the wires collected properly it'll be negative feedback if you have them crossed you'll turn this into a 120 watt oscillator. <laughs> yeah yeah luckily i got it right the first yeah. time i figured my odds were 50 50 yeah yeah so i i put this thing in and it was like man it was like magic it was like well it wasn't magic it was like a, the, the, a successful prescription from the doctor dr allison and I, again, I went and did the test that had been bedeviling me, the tail of woe test. And as I increased the gain, right at that point where I thought it was going to break into oscillation, it didn't. Smooth, smooth as silk. Fixed. Done. Thank you, Allison. And, uh, I mean, as we always say, it's uh, when you get into a problem like this, you need patience. You can't just figure you're going to fix it in a day. This probably took me three, four weeks to get this thing squared away. You need to reach out to people who can help you with this thing, who are willing to be Elmers. And Allison was great, and and Pete, you too, or we can just get all kinds of encouragement. Hang in there. I know you installed a similar circuit in in, in one of your amplifiers. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. and but 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 Allison, well, wow, thanks a lot. And uh, she is a, a real resource for uh, for all of us. She's active on many of the, the lists and always provides really great input. So I want to. I want to thank her. She's terrific. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, she made a really important point. There's a lot of commercial equipment out there 
that does not have this feedback. <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, the the where I installed it was in one of the RF bricks that came out of an Atlas 210X, and she said a lot of those amps got smoked. <laughs> you know, you you wonder how this stuff gets out in the marketplace, and and it doesn't have those fixes. And I guess this fix that she recommended. It actually appears in, in quite a few commercial products that have addressed this issue, and she went through a list there. Of yeah, yeah, and it's a, in some of the subsequent CCI amps, some of the more yeah. advanced products, they have this kind of feedback in yeah. there. But you know, and then and then just to understand the theory, it's really it's kind of beautiful when you think about what's going on, because to understand how the feedback prevents the oscillation, I mean, it really it comes down to this: you have you have the oscillation because there, somehow, RF at this frequency is finding a path from output to input at the proper phase so that it becomes positive feedback and the thing takes off. It's probably a very small amount of energy, right? That it, but it's just enough energy to cause this thing to go into oscillation. It's like a regenerative receiver. I think that's right. what she, right. she was, that's used right. the analogy. Right. Now, if you deliberately go in there and put feedback, negative feedback, a certain amount, but a significant amount, okay, you're going to reduce the gain of the, of the amplifier a bit, but you're in essence going to be throwing kind of like a big blanket on that positive feedback, because if that positive feedback was just enough to kick it into oscillation before, okay, beta now, one. <laughs> now, it's, now it's buried under all that negative feedback, yeah. so... It's 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 counteracting it and it's keeping everything stable. So three cheers for Allison and for negative feedback. Yeah. Negative feedback is usually a negative thing, but in this case, it's, it's positive. positive. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we might have to add that to the lexicon yeah, for the next yeah, year. But it's positive. <laughs> Talking about burning out things, I've been burning out scope probes on the Rigol because they're getting close. I, when I put it on the output of the amplifier, I, I'm getting close to the 200 volts pe- peak to peak. But they're cheap, so I'm going to order a bunch of them <laughs> and hopefully not have to do this too much anymore. The only other thing I've been doing on the bench is I, I got, I put it on the blog, this was kind of cool. I got a, a, a readout for the uh, Bit X20. I've been using the Bit X20 more than Bit X17 because of band conditions, which have been stinko. Yeah. yeah. But 20 has been better, and I bought this little, um, from Sanjian, uh, that company in China, a six digit readout. I, I found that I didn't need the eight digit. I got the six digit, and I needed a box for it. Fits perfectly in an Altoids tin. Yeah, it looks so cool. It looks cool. I, I even asked people. I said, "Should I cover up the markings on the Altoids?" And somebody came and said, "You would not be true to homebrew spirit if you did that. You'd be trying to cover up your homebrewedness." So that the tape came off, and it my my frequency display now says along the top, "The original celebrated," <laughs> and then down below it says, "Peppermint." Um, 100% natural. Yeah. You, you know, our friend Dwayne, K- yeah. KV4QB, I think is his call, he, he made an interesting observation. He said, if they had invented Altoids, we wouldn't have electronic projects. <laughs> element of truth yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank God for Altoids. Yeah. And it adds a certain nice, I like it because it adds a nice British element oh, to the yeah, whole thing. Yeah. Pete, now... I'm going to ask you to behave yourself. Oh, I, I am. I am. Uh, Control yourself. Keep I, that Italian. I took my blood pressure medicine. <laughs> yeah, I did. It's time for us to talk about one of your least favorite subjects yes. or most emotional subjects. Yes. yes. 
Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to turn to the vexing issue of phase noise. Dun, 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 dun. All right, phase noise. Here, let me give you a little bit of background here. Um, Pete has been the champion of the use of a, of a part called the SI-5351 chip. It's a wonderful little chip. You use it with an Arduino. The chip itself is smaller than your thumbnail. The board itself that comes with it is kind of the size of the last digit on your thumb there. And um, it produces three. We only use two, but it produces three different frequencies. The great thing about this is that you could use one frequency as the variable frequency oscillator in a single sideband transmitter, transceiver, and you could use the other as the BFO. So one chip gives you the BFO and the VFO. You don't have to build these oscillators, and it makes these rigs extremely frequency agile. So, for example, if I wanted to change my BIDX40 Digitia to a different band, I would just reload the software, have the BFO operating at a different frequency, and I could even reset the, the BFO to go from upper sideband to lower sideband. Presto, it's really cool. Now, when this thing first came out, very quickly, there were people bad-mouthing it, trash-talking it, talking smack, as the kids say, I think. Anyway, they were saying that they had looked at the, uh, the statistics on it and found that the phase noise, unacceptable, horrible, noisy, scratchy, dirty, all those phrases. They were talking bad about your chip. Oh, yeah. And you didn't like it. Nope. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm constraining myself, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, good. You are. And it's all, I'll, just, I'll just roll with it here a little bit. I, I, when I first heard about this thing, I'm thinking phase noise. I never even heard of phase noise. What are they talking about? And so I had to dig into it. And this was just good. I learned a lot. I went to EMRFD, the Experimental Methods in RF Design. I also went to the ARRL uh, 2002 handbook. There were good sections on phase noise in there. And I began to understand what some of these folks were saying. Really, what was happening is I think some people started raising questions about the phase noise figures for this chip, especially as it compared to the phase noise from a more frequently used chip, the SI-570, right? Right. And they found that there was, that the, the figures cited for the SI-5351 were worse than for the SI-570, and so I think some people concluded that, ah, we shouldn't use the SI-5351 because it has worse phase noise or more phase noise. But this, we, I don't, it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't match with our experience because you started using them in rigs without any trouble. Let's, let's talk a little bit about what phase noise means. It's a fancy term, but really the most important word there is noise. If you have an oscillator, and the oscillator is supposed to produce signals on one frequency, it's supposed to produce a sine wave on one frequency. Now, if it's also producing noise off to the sides, then it's noisy. And I, I have had them where they were producing multiple frequencies all up and down. Was, they were squeegeeing, they were squirrely, they were dirty. Those were really, really bad. But normally you build an oscillator, and it is on the one frequency, and you don't even really notice if there's noise off to the side. But people do measure this stuff, especially with these chips, and they were doing measurements on the, these chips, and, and the word got out that, the SI-5351 had more noise than the SI-570. And then I think people just started repeating it. And without 
actually kind of digging in, and, and they, were, they were, oh, you can't use that chip. It's too noisy. Oh, no, no, we can't use the SI5351. It's too noisy. We've got to stick with the SI570. Oh, the phase noise is unacceptable. And it, it, it kind of, it was kind of a snowball effect. People kept talking about it and talking about it and talking about it until I, I, I and what drove me to action on this is that I was listening to another podcast, a podcast that I like a lot, that I admire a lot. These great guys make good contributions. But they were talking about the SI5351, and then and they were talking about the phase noise, and then in the conversation they started talking about how phase noise had created problems years ago for megawatt shortwave broadcast stations because their oscillators were dirty and they were wiping out the entire HF spectrum around their frequencies. And holy cow, if you listen to this, you'd think that this SI5351 is a beast, an electronic beast that should be strangled in its crib. It should be wiped out. It should be removed from, from parts catalogs all around the world because it's such a danger to the HF frequency spectrum. And that's not true. It's just not it. So we started looking more closely. How am I doing, Pete? Am I, am I being reasonable? Perfect. Am I, am I, and you, you were you're exhibiting remarkable self-restraint. Oh yes, there, I, must. I, I, right. I had a big drink. I had a big drink before we started. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> All right. But anyway, um, so we started looking at this, and one of the things I did, I said, "Wait a second. You know, how much noise is there in?" I got three bit X's here. One of them uses a VXO, crystal controlled oscillator. One of them uses a VFO. So the classic BIDX VFO. And the third one uses the SI5351. I have my new Rigol scope, and it has this cool fast Fourier transform feature in it. It also lets you take screenshots, which I think is pretty cool. Now, I know the FFT is not a real spectrum analyzer. I know their shortcomings. I know it's not really a precise piece of gear. But I just said to myself, okay, if there's such a vast difference between the crystal oscillator of BFO and the SI5351, you should be able to see some of it if you put the scope on the output of all three oscillators, especially since the rigs are so remarkably similar. All of these oscillators feed into diode ring mixers. I didn't want to tear these rigs apart, so I did a real simple thing. I just went and I put the scope probe on one, two, and three, and then I took pictures of all three, and I posted them up on the Solder Smoke blog. And the thing that really strikes you about the three pictures is how remarkably similar they are. You see a big peak right there at the desired frequency, and then you see trailing off to the sides way, 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 way down there. You know, it trails off, right? There is, there's no noise. It's not, it's not like you see one where it's horribly noisy and there's all these spikes at other frequencies. No, they're not there. They look the same. If you, if you did like a kind of a blind test and you didn't tell people, which were which, you couldn't tell the difference between the crystal oscillator and the SI5351. And this matches our experience in building rigs with this part, right? Right. When I, lis when I listen to the receiver using the SI5351, it sounds as good or better than the receivers that I built using in the, with the same circuitry using crystal oscillators or a VFO. It sounds the same. One of the tests that they recommend, because they say that in, in, in the handbook and in, I think at EMRFD, they point out that phase noise is really remarkably difficult to measure. You need a lot of test gear. You could you use test gear up to like 100 grand worth of test gear. I don't have it. I got the Rigol scope. costs 300 bucks. But one of the things that they said you could do is to find out if you've got bad noise, 
is just tune in on a strong signal, maybe set up a carrier oscillator in the shack, and then kind of sneak up on it with the receiver and see if you start to hear noise off to the side. I did it with the SI5351. No noise. On transmit, you know, are they going to, are, are we going to hear people complaining that the signal is broad and noisy? You and I have been out there on 40 meters, Pete, where they're very, very, very picky. They all have pan adapters. They all have flex radios. They look very carefully. No one has told me that this thing is, is broad. I think it's much ado about nothing. Say something. I, I, I'm sitting here <laughs> nodding my head. <laughs> sitting here nodding my head. Yes. Yeah, you know, one of the other things, just one other point I make is that, and I, this was a good point that was made in, in, the, in the handbook and I think in the MRFD also. Phase noise is not something new. It's not something unique to chips like the SI5351. All oscillators, all oscillators produce phase noise. Even that beautiful little crystal oscillator, the Michigan Mighty Might makes phase noise. As a matter of fact, in EMRFD, they provide a circuit that will, that deliberately, they say, this is the kind of oscillator, crystal oscillator, I think, or it might be a, a, an LC oscillator, but this is the kind of, I think it's a crystal oscillator, that will produce a lot of phase noise. So that, that even there, even when they're discussing crystal oscillators, they're saying, you know, some of them will produce phase noise, some of them will, will produce more or less. But I think the most important thing is how far down it is. We're talking 100 dB down from the carrier signal. 100 dB. You know what 100 dB is? Yeah. <laughs> well... You know, if it's 10 dB, uh, it's 10 times. So if it's 100 dB, guess what? Big number. You're not going to hear it. You're not going to see it. By the way, interestingly enough, Bill, in the solid-state design for the radio amateur, there's that famous oscillator in there. It's low noise. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Good one. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at EMRFD here, and there's some lines here that really jump off the page. Page 4.12, the authors write: At first glance, phase noise sounds like an esoteric detail that probably has little impact on practical communications. This is generally true. Close quotes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm looking at the oscillator circuit that they provide. It says. The circuit of figure 4.21 is especially bad for phase noise, and it's a crystal oscillator, yep. right? So um, this can be built as a simple experiment that will allow you to hear the results in a station receiver. Um, it also points out that, you know, you have to realize that uh, one of the things they say on, on receive, you know, we talked about a test to determine whether you're, you've got a problem there, but they also point out that on transmit, the noise that comes out at the end of the power amplification, the noise will have the same relationship to the final signal as the phase noise has to the oscillator signal. In other words, if it's 100 dB down at the oscillator, whatever noise comes out is 100 dB, dB down. down. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, come on. Here, the other thing that comes up is the comparison with the SI-570. And I think a lot of people just, they saw, I, I, I put it here, that I, I said, you know, maybe one, maybe one of the stats showed that the noise was at 
156 dB down, maybe say for the SI-570. And then the SI-5351 might have been at 150 dB down. And then somebody says, (laughs) somebody says, holy cow, it's got 60 dB more noise. Relative. Well, that'd be a lot if you were talking about an antenna and you say you got 60 dB gain, right? But, but we're talking micro, micro watts. It's tiny. It's tiny. You're not even going to notice the difference. Um, some guys have come out and done some good tests and we got some good observations from Thomas, LA3PNA. And then he relayed to me also uh, some 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 stats, some 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 accurate measurements that were done done for for Jason NT7S. And then just this morning we got another set of tests came in from a fellow with some good equipment K0WFS, and he points out. I think he found he got it, he found noise a noise phase noise figure for the SI5351 at negative 96 dBc per hertz. That's still, it's 100 dB down. And he says that even that is not bad, right? And he says that if you were really paranoid and you wanted to knock it down, all you would need to do is put a low-pass filter after the oscillator because much of the noise is just harmonics. And if you could knock down the higher frequency harmonics, the, the noise coming out of the oscillator is reduced even further. So this is not a showstopper for the SI5351, and I, I just hope that, that people will take with a, a very large grain of salt any claims that the SI5351 might be less than useful for radio amateurs. How is that for diplomatic handling? Oh, what do you think? Your, your, your training is showing forth. <laughs> I am a silver-tongued devil, my friend. Yes, I know. You, you know, the, there, there's two things that struck me here, Bill. First, uh, I, I think it's important to note... These people are making pronouncements, and I don't think they've actually had one operating in a radio in front of them. I mean, I, I, I think if you had something operating in a radio in front of you, you might say, well, I sure can't tell the difference. And, and I think the other issue is it's just easy to parrot. You know, oh, yeah, I heard a phrase noise is bad. I, I go back to solder smoke 169, and, and I, I was where the subject first came up. And uh, I was talking about the article in the LBS, and the editor said to me, Hey, did you see MFRP? You know, the face noise bad. What are you doing putting that in the radio? I said, Get a grip. <laughs> I got one working on the bench here. So, I mean, it's real easy to just take somebody's word and say, Well, yeah, it's it's worse. You know, and you, you so aptly pointed out the IRF 510 and the NE602. You know, people just said, Well, these things are terrible. You shouldn't put them in radios. Take a look in your shack. <laughs> they're all over. They're the all over the place, right? Exactly. And you know, yeah. So I mean, if we were building some really super duper, you know, liquid nitrogen cooled receiver to get the signal from deep the space. NASA probe, deep but space. deep space, you worry about it. But this is ham radio, yeah. and 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 you know, as you said, you can't really even notice the differences. People should just take a listen to the to the receiver that Dean AC nine JQ built. Yeah, I mean, we just recently put the the YouTube videos up on the Solder Smoke blog. That's impressive. It, it's the thing that got me was when I, when he first came on, he was playing audio from the receiver. I thought it was him talking. There's no noise, and then he tunes around. You could barely hear yeah. the background static, and I think he was on forty meters. Yeah, yeah, it was. And, 
So, I mean, it's really quiet. It's, it's, it's not a problem. But for me, look, here's the other thing. For years, for years we've been building rigs. Um, and, you know, we, we've been building homebrew oscillators. Um, and, and the homebrew oscillators we build, you know, it, we, I can never remember saying, okay, I'm going to build this rig, but I'm going to check the phase noise on the crystal oscillator before I build it. You know, I never, we can't, we, we wouldn't do that. We would, you know, you wouldn't sit there and say, oh, I'm not going to build that rig because the phase noise out of the crystal oscillator might be too much. We never even checked. We didn't even know what it was. We just built it, and if it worked, that was great. But somehow, if we're using the SI5351, unless we've got, you know, <laughs> ironclad stats on whether the, the, the phase noise is at 156 or 150, nobody wants to use it. Come on, it's crazy. It's really nuts. Well, well, you know, I think as more data becomes available, it's going to be harder to just say the phase noise is bad. And I, I think that recent data you got today was was really eye opener. I mean, yeah. it's a test, and it's on. It was on twenty meters. It was not. Some, yeah. It was not some test that you're doing in the audio range. Twenty meter real data, and I, wow. I, I just I rest my case. All right, we're going to we're going to put a link up to that on the blog, so people should take a look. Give the SI5351 a chance. Be, uh, be a little bit um, uh, kind of skeptical about claims that it's a really noisy part because that hasn't been our experience. And even when you, when you look at more recent tests, the tests kind of support the use of this part in rigs. And it's a shame because it, if, if people get the idea that you shouldn't use it, they're missing out because you can really make some very cool rigs with it. I, I, my, my final word is, okay, you go away. I'm going to use it, and I'm having lots of fun, <laughs> and it works really well for me. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we got through that pretty good. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't use any bad words, or or. or I, I restrained myself. We were very good. Too. <laughs> All right. I think that time. It's time for us to get into the shameless commerce division. Yes, SCD. Commerce division. SCD. We want to thank everybody who's been using uh, the the solder smoke link to Amazon.com. When you think Amazon, think solder smoke. Now, Amazon's been getting a lot of heat in the press lately. There's been some articles coming out about it might not be the nicest place in the world to work and all that. So here's the thing. If you're mad at Amazon, you should use our site. That way, we get money from Amazon. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. We get money, right? Yeah. If you like Amazon, you should use our site because they're getting more business. Either way, it's a win. Whether you like them or don't like them, you should still use the site. So when you think... Amazon, think solder smoke. All you have to do is go to the blog, soldersmoke.blogspot.com, and whatever you're searching for, be it a lawnmower or an SI5351 or whatever. New set of tires. <laughs> new set of tires, new probes for your Rigel scope, whatever it is, just do the search there, and then <clears throat> it'll the regular old um, screen will pop up, but cha-ching, that Bezos guy, love him or hate him, he's going to send us some money. So it's an easy way for you to support the podcast. We do use it for buying some of the stuff that we, we get here. We have to buy a lot of stuff because we release a lot of smoke in this shack. You know, people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> once you release the magic smoke, man, yeah, it's hard yeah, to get yeah, it back. Yeah. Smoke parts. So, so another, another box from Amazon yeah, is going to be yeah. out. So anyway, that's one of the best ways that you can, uh, can support the podcast. I'm going to, and I'm, uh, like I said, keep an eye out for the, uh, the dramatic and drastic you know, uh, temporary reduction of prices on the solder smoke book yeah, that we're cool. going to do. Can't beat that off. No, you can't meet that off. That, that concludes this week's yeah. Shame Commerce. 
But, oh, but this reminds me, well, as long as we're talking about products, KX3. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting you should mention that because I want to get that antenna uh, in place so I can really enjoy using the KX3. But i got to tell you, it really works well on today's band conditions. I mean, you know all that digital signal processing and a bandwidth and all that stuff? Did you check the phase noise on all those oscillators? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, this is when a radio like that really shines. I mean, when you have poor band conditions, you can really dig those signals out because it's got such a superlative receiver. So, I mean, I, I just sit here in awe, but at the same time, makes me feel bad because I could never build anything like that. <laughs> you know, I could. It's, it's so cool. As we learned from the interviews with, um, with Wayne Burdick yeah. and, and, and Eric Schwartz, these are truly amateur radio produced rigs. This was like Wayne's dream rig yeah. as a teenage ham. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. stuff. So I'll, I'll give you a little more detailed report once I get the beam up because I want to put okay. that on 20 meters. I want to. 20. Yeah. Oh, man. You're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to be that, a tall ship. You're going to yeah. be king. Band, band master. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Hey, uh, this this mentioning of, of Wayne. Uh, this this brings us to um, interviews on the the other one of the other podcasts that we like is uh, QSO Today, run by our friend Eric Four Z One UG. I was interviewed by him on uh, July. I think the interview was on July twenty first. I think it went out shortly after that. But um, I had a great time. Eric does these does these podcasts where he interviews. Uh, radio amateurs and ask them to talk about their experiences with the hobby, how they got started, what they're working on, what they like, what their thoughts about the future of the hobby are. And I had I had a real good time talking to Eric. Uh, so my interview's up there, and I understand that another, that a very prominent, <laughs> well-known, and highly esteemed radio amateur is going to be interviewed tomorrow. Yes, you're right. <laughs> Me. You. Me. Fantastic. Me. Oh man. And I, I think this is going to be great. You, you know, I, I got to tell you, I was looking on his, he's got like a blog page, and he showed all yeah. these people he's interviewed. I, I don't know how I got on the list. <laughs> I mean, there's... I know how I know how you got on the list. <laughs> I mean, there... I really know how you got on the list. I mean, there's some really heavy hitters that he's interviewed. I mean, you know, guys from QSD and, and of course, Wayne and, and people very prominent. I'm saying, God, he wants <laughs> what's he want to talk to me for, you know? I, I, I was really blown away by his interview with Wayne. It was really great. He, he asked some very probing questions. Uh, you know, in, in preparation, he said, I'm going to ask you these questions like, who got you started in this? And I really had to think a lot. Uh, about that, you know, who, if I was really to finger one person, who really got me started, and, and, and of course, my dad. Well, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, yeah. you don't want to, you don't want you, you know, you're going to do this, do this tomorrow. Okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to say anymore, but I mean, they're really probing questions that he, he asks you, so I, I think it's... Uh, hey, hey, Pete, I, I, I talked to him about interviewing you, and I I told him, because when, when we first, it, did, it didn't come up specifically, but what happened was when, when Eric and I were doing the interview, it was on Skype. And so we finally connected by Skype, and um, I told him, I said, okay, I'm going to turn on the camera. And he said, oh, no, don't turn on the camera because, you know, the bandwidth is a bandwidth problem, and we don't want to do it that way. And I was, I was taken aback, and I said, I always have the camera on when I'm talking to Pete. And then I thought for a second, I said, because I have to have it because I have to see his hands moving <laughs> or else I can't understand what he's saying. <laughs> so, there you go. So, so he might... He might he might make an exception for you. He might put the camera. 
<laughs> and, and there are no obscene Italian gestures involved. <laughs> just, <laughs> just hand talking. Pete and I are making obscene Italian gestures. Yeah, at this point. yeah. All right, but anyway, um, all right. So that'll be really good. We'll be looking forward to see that. We mentioned the horrible band conditions. Stinko hit by a cor- coronal mass ejection last week. Whew. People all over the world thought their rigs were broken. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, I took telescope out. I mentioned my telescope maintenance project. I fixed up my Dubsonian telescope, took it out, looked at Saturn. Good for the soul. My wife says I'm always in a better mood if I've done. I'm, I'm usually in a very good mood, you know, but the, even better than normal oh, yeah. if I've gone out there with and uh, looked at the telescope. With the telescope, Saturn is in good position right now. Saw the rings, very cool. Even from the light polluted skies of the uh, Washington D.C. metro area, very nice. Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia, yeah. the wilds of Northern Virginia, yeah. All right, Pete, mailbag. Ooh. Unless you got something else. No, got no, else? no. Right, for the mailbag, we've been getting some really good mail. Um, KA5WPL, Paul, is another recruit for the Colorburst Liberation Army. He's been inducted and sworn in. I have sent him the 3.579 megahertz Colorburst crystal. He wanted this one signed. By solder smoke, so it's got a solder smoke symbol on the side. Mm. We think this gives it some extra mojo. And Paul has pledged, promised, sworn that he will build a Michigan Mighty Might. And uh, so we, we wish him a lot of good luck with that. We heard from Ron, G4GXO, on Belthorn. Bel- Bel- Belthorn. 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 Oh. <laughs> and he explains the origins of the word Belthorn. And gives a lot of interesting SSB homebrew history about how it was, uh, you know, was put together and everything else. And go ahead. I, I was just going to say I got an email from Ron uh, two days ago. He is building up a test rig with an SI fifty three fifty one. Yay! And he, I know, is going to take phase noise data. So we're going to have another piece of information about the SI fifty three. Got it. I hope I hope he supports what we're saying. Uh, oh, he does. He he does. He he's looking at certain things, and uh, so I uh, I think we're going to have more data from from people doing this stuff independently. But he's not using an Arduino. Well, he likes to he likes to work with picks. So he he's written the code for a pick. So it's a I, he might be using a, a 16F877 or one of those you know higher end type picks. So. I'm I'm going to keep in touch with him. I'm going to see what his data looks like. So we may have more data points on phase noise. Excellent, excellent. It was really interesting. His uh, his letter and his explanation of the background history of the uh, of of the Bell Bell Horn. Horn and the and the Eden the Eden transceiver. Yeah, Eden nine. Uh, Eden nine. It was nine because the guy didn't understand that it was the ninth division of the schematic. Yeah. He thought that was the name of the race. So became the Eden nine. Yeah. Really cool stuff. Uh, anyway, good, good message from another great message from from the UK. Uh, um, Rupert G six HVY. Rupert Goodwins. What a great name, yeah. Rupert Goodwins. And I, I was intrigued by the name, and I, I I googled him. This guy is a guru. He's a tech wizard. He's a real part of the uh, the, 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 the the kind of the digital glitterati. Um, he was um, wrote for all kinds of um, tech magazines in the UK. Uh, worked for I think Sinclair Computers when they were really early on. Built some really interesting stuff that is now at the museum at Bletchley Park and other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, wrote a, a column for ZDNet 
for a long time. So this guy, Rupert's got some really interesting background. G6HVY, he, uh, he sent me two messages. The first, he was about the, a video about the expedition, the Contiki, the radio operators with Thor Heyerdahl on the Contiki that went across the Pacific. And you and I talked about this. The one thing that really intrigued me was they had this powder, this magic powder with them, and they put the magic powder in this tube, and they stuck it in the water, and out of the end of the tube came hydrogen gas, which they used to fill up a balloon that supported their antenna. Now, we want some of that magic powder. Yeah. That would be really yeah, cool. Yeah. Like, we might not be able to get it because it seemed like it might be highly explosive, but yeah. it looked really cool. That was a, and then and then Rupert came to me with when I was I posted a message about my uh, my uh, low frequency oscillations with the with the CCI amp, and he came back and gave some very encouraging um, advice. And uh, he said, "Look, some of these problems are so mysterious that they would even defy the logical powers of Mister Spock." I said, "Rupert, you made me feel better." Um, Michele, 9A3XZ, make building bit axes in Croatia and send it in videos. Really cool. they got the same little Nokia screen that you, uh, you came up with there, the colorful screen. Beautiful job, Michele. Good to hear from you. Dean, AC9JQ, his Tia also has that beautiful, colorful screen, and he uses the SI5351, right, Pete? Yep, absolutely. It's beautiful. Now, I really, and I, I love the enclosure that he came up oh, with. Oh, yeah. But he told me not to do it. He said it was too much work. So I guess I'm back with the wooden cigar boxes here. I don't know, Dean. Yours, they look so good. I might want to do it. We hear, we've been hearing a lot from Brian, KV4ZS, and he is pledged to build an LBS receiver as his next project. We are counseling him not to bite off more than he could chew. Don't go right to the Bidex. Do what Pete prescribes and build the LBS receiver first and then, then build the LBS rig. He says he's going to do it. Guys, if you've built an oscillator and, use, and you want to go the next step, Build that LBS receiver, that direct conversion receiver that Pete talked about. It's the, it's the way to go. When you build a receiver, then you will really be entering the hallowed halls of the successful radio amateur home brewers. Yep. You'll, hear, you'll hear like Gregorian chants as you <laughs> solder that final connection. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, Dave Anderson in the U.K. was the guy who chimed in with antenna advice for Pete. That was great. An early example of the use of the blog. Yes, and he said, rotate it from the base and use a sleeve. There you go. Yeah. Rotate it from the base. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. Um, and then finally, we got a message from, well, not finally, but we got a message from Steve Smith, Steve Snort Rosin Smith out there on the, on the left coast. And he is moving into a, in the same house, but into a new and more hospitable temperature-controlled Ham shack. After many years out in the garage, congratulations, Steve. You must be behaving yourself. They're letting you in from the garage. Very good. Uh, congratulations on that, Pete. You know um, there was discussion about whether your um, fanatical addiction to the construction of SSB transceivers might require your friends to organize what they call these days an intervention. Yeah, you know, you're right. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you said. No, no. And then a couple of days later, you sent me the list. Pete has built, just in talking about SSB transceivers, how many? Well, I said 11, but now it's 13. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you got to be sitting at that meeting and say, my name is Pete, and I call it N6QW, and I have an addiction. Yeah, I yeah. can't stop building SSB transceivers. Yeah. 
Okay, so two W7ZOI 20-meter radios, one KWM4, one 20-40-meter rig, one Zia, one LBS, the LBS2, one 17-meter radio, the Bell Thorn 3, yes. J-Bomb, yep. one 20-meter dual-gate MOSFET, and now, most recently? Uh, I took the 30-meter CW transceiver, and I'm converting that over to uh, a 40-meter single sideband transceiver, and that's got a six-pole uh, 5 megahertz filter in it. Actually, it's pretty good. And then another one that I'm building uh, that's going to be um, kind of really small, like almost like a handy talkie. Yeah. But that count, that, that's just SSB transceivers. You've built many, many other rigs, too, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't want to talk about all the vacuum tube rigs, <laughs> rigs I built. <laughs> and, and actually, I didn't include the two CW transceivers that I have. That's right. I know. I know. Well, I, I, and then I was thinking, man... He's really gone off the deep edge here. An intervention may be needed. But then I looked at my own camera. Yeah. And I just looked around here. I got four double sideband transceivers, three SSB transceivers, one standalone SSB transmitter, one tube type superhat, at least one CW station. So I might be needing some help too here. Yeah, you're only you're only three behind me. <laughs> Yours are much nicer. <laughs> Man, we have gone to one hour. This is a new record, but that's okay. We're allowed because it's the special, yeah, special edition. edition. Have, we, have we missed anything? Did we no, oh, I but I, 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 you were, I, I wanted to go back to the very first part. I think the first time that I actually emailed you was when you were in Rome. And did you have a station in a closet? That My, my shack <laughs> looked like a closet. <laughs> so I remember you... you you were emailing and saying, "Yeah, it was, I'm, I'm looking out the window here, and it was a very small space." It must, you know, I don't think people realize when you operate from other countries, there may not be the availability of space like you have here. I mean, the areas tend to be pretty flats, and apartments tend to be pretty small. So you, you're really challenged. But I, I think was, you remember something like you had a really small shack. I had a small shack there. It was really small, but I did get the workbench in there, and, and most of the gear here. Some of it was in storage, but uh, we do have a bit more room now. It's never enough. Nope. It's already filling up. Nope. I'm already starting to spill out into the living room. Uh-oh. <laughs> to watch my step. I'm going to be sent out to the garage like poor old Steve Smith. Or like me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this has been fun. Yeah, it sure has. And again, congratulations on the 10th anniversary, Bill. Really, really amazing. Really great. And you can just only look at the people who follow the blog and send us emails and that. You, you really made a mark here. So, uh uh, happy 10th well, anniversary. You, you, you have saved the show, Pete. <laughs> we, we, we were sliding into oblivion until you came along and, and revitalized things, so I thank you. And thank all the listeners and everybody who's made it fun. And really, everybody, a great part of the show is the interaction with, with the listeners. And so many great people are listening and chiming in. And uh, we have a lot of fun with it. And uh, let's, let's, let's look forward to another 10 years at oh, least. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm going to say 7-3 is from the left coast. 7-3 from the wilds of northern Virginia. 7-3, Pete. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. 
send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Soldersmoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Soldersmoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!